Story number one, Harvesters, written by Sharky and George. Lights blinked feebly for the first time in eons, and slowly, ever so slowly, consciousness returned. As he awoke from the depths of induced sleep, his first thought was gratitude. Many occasions of awakening had been abrupt and jarring. This slow waking was of lover's caress, and he came to full awareness, calmly and at peace. He glanced over the multitude of screens that were arrayed before him, and saw with some irritation that two remained black. Even now, though, he could see streamers of nanites climbing with the staunchions and worm their way into the encasements. Silver rivulets disappeared, and then the bright blink of the screens activated, and a little robot scurried back. With all the information now displayed, he could see why he had been roused. A microscopic dot indicated a contact with another vessel still far off, and as he watched lines scrawled across the screen indicating relative courses, at one far wrong point they crossed. He had to think. It was unlikely that the other ship would sense him. He gave off far fewer signatures, so it was possible to alter the course slightly now and then and turn a near miss into a wide berth. He snorted as he considered it again. Near miss was somewhat of an exaggeration. Even at the closest, he would be a quarter of a million kilometers away. Still, he considered, that was closer than any had come in uncounted ages. He made a decision. Contact was still months away. He would wait and see what happened when they spotted him. It was with some interest weeks later that he watched the moment that he was spotted. The energy that blazed indiscriminately from the other ship focused for a second on his area of space, and he knew that he'd been pinged. What could, in a bad light and from a distance, pass for a small crusty space? Hidden through it was layers of armor and biotics. He watched, and he could almost see the other craft hesitate, as it started up a long, slow shimmy of defensive maneuvers, but did not alter course. This was bold, or at the very least wanted to seem to be. He had a few controls. The aching stretch of a massive beast long sedentary, his ship too began the slow dance. As they came closer and closer each day, he got a better look at his adversary. Where both craft were similar size, shape, and mass, these dictated by both mathematical determinations and the shared purpose of the ships. There the similarities ended. The, and he couldn't think of a better description than garish abomination, looked generality like a massive squid that cruised in inky depths. 20,000 kilometers long in a body, then perhaps 7,000 across at its widest diameter. It trailed flailing tentacles for 100,000 kilometers, and they were all arranged around it, not, unlike he thought, the spines of a lionfish. It fairly blazed with energy and glittered madly as the mirrored surfaces kaleidoscoped its lumpy surface, retracting again and again. He knew the reason for this display, much like the fish of its ape. It was to show how dangerous it was. Look at me, it screamed. I'm huge and powerful. I've got energy to waste, and my skin is erupting with weaponry. His ship gave a very different message, just as large and with just as many appendages, but his were tucked tight into the rear, and his surface was deep void of space itself, faceted and gem-like with absolutely no shine or glint. I'm not here, you cannot see me, and you will not hear me, unless I wish you to. As they came closer, even nearer, it became a game of nerve and strategy. Who would break the silence first? Who? would surrender information and show their hand. 
as they came within practical communication range, the necessary trifles of any contact in the dead universe started, and the computers of each started their own version of warfare, sending out codes and viruses, worms that tried to burrow deep, and trojans that faint handshake protocols, and whatever else the ingenious AIs each controlled could come up with. It was an expected part of any approach, and just as expected, neither gained any purchase. When they were within five light seconds of each other, the silence was finally disturbed. Well met, Chiss. This caused a moment of reflection. The name was familiar, and he recalled who he had given it to, but the message itself was sent in a long, dead, and somewhat obscured language of the Divinians, certainly not what they had last used to communicate. Clearly, the other was testing him. Would it be better to pretend not to understand the faint stupidity, or respond quickly and prove his wide knowledge? Either would be dangerous. Instead, he sent a message even more niche-tongue, that of the Katoks. When unsure, he considered, better to go with confusion. Well met, Vector. He assigned a runtime to analyze the pause in response and sat back. What would happen next would answer many questions. The response took several minutes, and when it came back, it was neo-standard. As they had talked previously, he glanced at the records of the conversation, one billion three hundred and twenty-eight million years ago. A long spell, even by his standards. It's been some time, Chess. I believe we met on good terms, and would do so again. What tone was this? Was he requesting a peaceful meeting, or deigning to grant me one? Did he pretend to be my equal? My better? Never a supplicant better to be clear on their positions. We did, and I see no reason that we would not. Blunt, but clear. I have no fear of you, and you interest me little. Perhaps too bold, but he had never been once for these games. He simply knew how to play them well. The repartee did not flow, and a quarter of an hour passed before the speaker squawked. Our pathing indicates that we may not have useful mapping to share. Even I do not wish to an efficiency of empty destinations. What do you say to a data swapped? Just rocked in his chair as if struck. The tenor of the conversation had switched suddenly and dangerously. It was true that mapping exchange would be beneficial, since the annihilation of rift space FTL travel had become impossible and interstellar travel crawled at a fraction of light. Knowing what might await you at the other end of the route was helpful indeed. However, suggesting that he did not have the energy to waste and tantamount to declaring battle, he sat back slowly in his chair and considered his next move. It had been tens of billions of years since he had last harvested a star. That was true, but he had never been like his fellows. The technology came as a shock to them all when he was created. They had been relatively small cog in a galactic machine. Useful traders and excellent builders, but short in territory and resources. Really, they'd only been tolerated as useful fools. Then, within a span of years, two discoveries had changed everything. First, Functional immortality, they are given bodies crude enough to be solved, and with the right treatment made everlasting. Secondly, tesseract dimensional doors, the ability to create pocket universes with all the same dimensions as this one, height, width, depth, time, and therefore be able to store mass amounts of energy within them and take it with you wherever you went. To the universe at large, this went largely unregarded. It made shipment of goods slightly easier, but it came with its own limitations, so few bothered. To his people, however, it was a firestorm that raised all behind it. Their society had already been broken by the everlasting life treatment. 
Once the social people, they had quickly become insular and paranoid. Their cultures shattered and discarded as greed and fear gripped them. Worlds burned and they scattered fearful that their fellows would take what they had. Dispersed as they were still, the technology of the doors spread through them and the borders they remained. Though now they had time to build the vastest and most ambitious of projects. So one built a ship and generators powerful enough to eat a star. It was a simple idea on the face of it. Build a door big enough to fit a star through, and you could take it with you wherever you went. Vast amounts of energy untapped for billions of years. If it occurred to another species, it might have meant wars, political upheaval, or it might have been nothing but an interesting science experiment. But to us, to our broken minds and fear-filled souls, it was a bullet that killed the universe. Over the following years, many of us built harvesters, Indeed, that became how we were known to the universe at large as they fought against us. Uncounted species burning in the fires of our weapons or dying in the black of their jewel was ripped from the skies. Many were simply caught in the crossfire as two or more vied for the particularly prized sun. Even then, though, I was different. I cared not for battle or for glory of primary. My harvester went from unwatched system to unwatched system. I did not race to harvest the ripest root. Instead, I plucked the unregarded and unwanted, the red dwarfs and similar that no life could use, and which gave out such little energy that they were ignored by all. I harvested hundreds of thousands in relative peace and quiet, even able to store the mass of the systems in the doors of their own. It was not until the replicator war that the prescient notion bore fruit. Perhaps it was one of us, perhaps it was one of the peoples that strove against us, but the first swarm of nanites that killed trillions and destroyed whole galaxies began a frenzied consumption of those of us that remained. Any and all mass was harvested before it could be rendered useless by the nanites' advance. Though most got only a taste of the feast that I had spent eons gorging myself on, and as their bright, fierce fuel burned itself out in my belly, continued to burn with sudden coals. Once the nanites had consumed everything that they could reach, they died away, in a slow ebbing, leaving the universe that was dead and cold, lit only by the travelling light of the long-gone distant stars and rift space, locked off and empty. Now only a few of us remained, slipping through the depths of space hunting for the mist systems, or overlooked mass fields running on the fumes of energy, once abundant and infinite. This was what gave me pause now but suggesting that I needed to save energy more than he. He essentially declared his supremacy. No doubt a demand for my remaining doors would follow, but perhaps I could avoid a costly conflict. I hit a few controls before me, and the front of my ship bellowed forth energy, a vast amount equivalent to perhaps several years of the main sequence output, with a commensurate amount being used, and my inertial control screamed in defiance, and I came to a halt from 0.23c within my own length. I have stopped to allow the data transfer vector. Will you do the same? The hesitation told me all that I needed to know, and yet he did halt, though slower than I. Data sending. Whatever he sent was dumped into the air and gaped up by the isolated data horde. There was no way I could open anything he transmitted so carelessly in return. I sent my own, clean and clear, hoping this would dissuade his attack. He must have been desperate indeed, though, and no sooner had my packets been sent, he unleashed the might of his remaining harvest at me. 
inconceivable amounts of energy designed to rip through my ship and repelled by an equally inconceivable amount of my shielding. I let him burn his last one great gout and sat back, unharmed, before instructing my tendrils to move towards his and grasp him. Even as they unfurled and stretched through the space between us, he called again, spent and lost. I had to try. I have nothing left, no prospect of harvesting more. I understand, I purred softly. Will you make this easy? Will you have your data and tech unmolested? He hesitated audibly on the open line. If I do, will you save my engram for better days? I was surprised again. The engram was the heart of the immortality treatment, a biotech core of mind which the body could be built around. All others had desired death before letting themselves be trapped within the core for an uncounted time. Yes. Then I hand over all controls. And my console lit up with slave commands. A grin stretched my face. I would be able to take everything with no wastage. Several weeks later, as my harvester digested and sorted the last of his ship, I walked into his command suite and saw another of my kind for the first time in hundreds of billions of years. It is time... She gulped, visible, and sat down in her chair. Very well, I must ask. How do you have such stores remaining? I know you harvested long-loved stars, but even they must have long died out, and yet you seem to be able to burn energy without thought. I considered whether or not to answer. I never understood everyone else building their tesseracts with the same properties as the universe. I always bought mine missing one. Time. And so you only burn what you need with no waste. Exactly. Now please, it is time. I watched as she hit a command which triggered an engram dump and then stumped lifeless in the chair. I walked over and picked up the core. It reminded me so much of the first potato of the year plucked from the soil by my father's garden. Looking out of the ripped open room, I gazed deeply into the void of dead space and crushed it in my grasp, sending her mind to whatever hell awaited her. There are no better days ahead. End of story.